Our marriages have been created in the image of God to represent Jesus, the groom, and the bride, his church. Uh, We were then told in Genesis to go out to be fruitful and multiply. What that meant was we were to go out into this world and show off God, show the world God. And right after we were commissioned in Genesis, we messed up and we we broke the image. We shattered our image uh, to where our reflection of God was now distorted. And the good news of the gospel is that from that day forward, actually even before that day, God has been in the process of his plan of pursuing us and saving us and redeeming us and then putting those broken pieces back together so that we would be a, a, a mended mirror to reflect him again. And so we have been created and called and commissioned to glorify God. Centuries ago in the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Catechism, the very first question in discipleship is asked, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what have we been created for? And what do we live for? What are we all about? Why are we here? And the answer of the disciple would be the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's why we're here. We are here on this world to glorify him in everything that we do, whether we eat or drink or sleep or whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. And the blessing in that is that we also get to enjoy him in that. There's a relationship between God's glory and our joy. So the end of our Christianity here on earth is that we would take this image of God and the message of God and the story of the gospel out to the world so that he would be glorified among the nations. And so as we look at this missionary song, I like what John Piper wrote in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Sometimes we think it is, don't we? He says, worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And so we are a missional church. We've been commissioned by God, but not that that would be our end. It's so that the world would know him and worship him as their creator and as their savior. And then for the rest of eternity, we'll be in the presence of that savior, loving him and enjoying him and praising him for what he's done. We find that this story is the story of scripture. It's the what we call the meta-narrative of Scripture. It's the story that's woven all throughout Genesis through Revelation that God is in the business of glorifying himself by redeeming sinners through the death of his son. One missiologist said that Psalm 67 is the way we pray when we are obsessed with God's zeal for his praise among the peoples of the world. Let me say that one more time because I know it can go over our head. This is the way we pray when we are obsessed with God's zeal for his praise among all the peoples of the world. 
David Platt, a man that's been so helpful in shaping the mission's climate in our church, said, this psalm is simple, and it contains one primary overarching truth that is absolutely critical in understanding Christianity and understanding your purpose in this world. The truth is, God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. Let me just repeat that last little phrase. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. I hope that just begins to be seared into your heart as it has been in mine. So let's look at the psalm. Seven verses. I've got a timer on me today. We'll be done in 35 minutes. Okay? All right. Verse 1. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. Oh, what a wonderful prayer. A prayer that all of us have prayed, no doubt. God be merciful to us. I like how it's corporate. To us. Be moved to pity for us. Show compassion on us. Most versions use the phrase, God be gracious to us. Be generous. Or literally, God, please be gracious. And so we have mercy and grace cried out from a corporate body. As Spurgeon said, forgiveness of sin is always the first link in the chain of mercies experienced by us. And then this cry for mercy addressed to the God of mercy by those who feel the need of mercy implies the death of all legal hopes or claims of merit. When we cry out for mercy, it means we got nothing. I've got no righteousness in and of myself. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I am a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. I've got nothing. I've got no strength. I've got no pedigree. I've got no wealth. I've got nothing to, to hold on to. As the old hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. This is the prayer of someone who's found themselves at that place. Be merciful and bless us. Benefit us. Cause us to be happy. And then David prays out this high priestly prayer from Numbers chapter 6. Cause his face to shine upon us. He's praying this to the God that when Moses was in his presence, couldn't look at his face. God had to hide Moses in the cleft of a rock and then say, okay, I'm going to pass by you. And when my backside is towards you, then you can kind of turn and get a glimpse of my, my backside, my booty. That's it. And so the high priest would pray out, oh Lord, more than the backside, more than a glimpse, more than us kind of hiding. And, oh, whoa. No, we want it all, Lord. We know that that would kill us. So we need your mercy. We want all of you shining upon us, dawn on us, illuminate us, ignite us, give us sight and light a fire in us, brighten our dark and dreary life. This is a high priestly blessing and prayer that God would be merciful to us. That means not give us what we deserve, which is death and hellfire. And he would be gracious to us giving us something that we don't deserve. 
his riches and blessings and righteousness in Christ Jesus. And then he would shine on us. This is all part of this meta-narrative that we find in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God speaking into Abram's life, saying, through you, Abram, and through your seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so this high priestly prayer, it's a decisive fulfillment of the Abrahamic blessing. And Gen- uh, rather, Galatians says three different times that this seed of Abraham, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that this blessing comes from. And every single one of us who are found in Christ are part of this blessing to go out to the nations and to tell them of the seed of Abraham. This prayer of Psalm 67 is a realization of the covenant to Abraham being fulfilled through Christ Jesus when people believe. Now, verse 1 has a pause after it, a selah. Notice it's a pause, not a period. There's a selah, which means let's pause and let's soak it in. Cause his face to shine upon us. I find it interesting. We saw this on Wednesday night. When there's a comma and then a, like a pause, there's a comma and a pause. Cause your face to shine upon us. So that, verse 2 says, it, it rolls right in. It doesn't stop at verse 1. It, pause, it meditates and then it, and then it goes right into verse 2. There's an aim of the mercy. There's an aim of the blessing. There's an aim of the brightening. And verse 2 tells us that it's so that your way may be known on earth. Your salvation or saving power or saving health among the nations. If you got a pen, you can kind of write in the margins of your Bible or circle or draw squares around these key words that we see because we see four reasons for the mercy, the blessings, the brightening, the face of God shining upon us or, or four reasons why Jesus came you can put in the margin of your Bible. And the first one is in verse 2. It's so that your way may be known on earth. So you can put a box around the word known there in your Bible. Jesus is merciful to us and blesses us and causes his face to shine upon us. Not so that we would just be blessed. Not just so that we would have mercy. And many of us pray verse 1, but we put a period where there should be a comma. And we pray, Lord, bless me. I mean, who hasn't prayed that? Just bless me, bless my kids, bless my home, bless my job, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, Lord. Oh, and I know I've sinned, so mercy, mercy, mercy. Be merciful to me, Lord. Be gracious, shine your... Woo, yeah, woo, I'm feeling good. I'm getting warm fuzzies and... Whoa. But it doesn't end there. All of that upon us is so all of that can go to them. It's so that his ways would be known. And we see the context here. It's so that... All the nations may know. Look at the end of verse 2. 
all the nations may know, that they could find out, that they could be made aware of, they could be familiar with his ways, or the language speaks of saving ways, saving power, saving health. It doesn't end here. The blessings, the mercy, the shining light of God upon us, it doesn't stop here. Just reading Spurgeon this week, he said, it would be very wrong to let our charity end where it begins, as some do. Our love must make long marches, and our prayers must have a wide sweep. We must embrace the whole world in our prayers. Despite the gloomy notions of some, we cling to the belief that the kingdom of Christ will embrace the whole habitable globe and that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. For this glorious consummation, we agonize in prayer. And so this mission song is a mission's prayer. It's mission's intercession. Lord, bless us so that your way, your salvation would be known among all the nations. We agonize in prayer over that. And you know, that's the story of our church. The Lord used this psalm to change how we pray. And now we agonize in prayer. Almost every Sunday here, we pray for a different nation with a prayer cast video. And then we pray and cover that nation during the week until Wednesday we get together and we have a, a gal from our church, middle school girl, prepare a special slideshow with prayer points. And we pray more over that nation. And what we do, those nations, we're going through the most persecuted countries in this world where Christians are most persecuted. I think it's Bahrain this week we'll be praying for. So we agonize in prayer that all of the nations would know his saving ways his mercy. Augustine and Jerome and Hillary, these theologians, different Hillary than you're familiar with. <laughs> Probably too familiar with. They say, this way is thy Christ. Thy saving Christ is how they interpret this. That they might know your saving Christ. And so just as the showers rain down upon the mountains and trickle down and find their way to the creeks, which find their way to the rivers, which find their ways to the ocean, so too the blessings of God shower down upon us and they trickle down out of our homes and out into our streets and into Prineville and the blessings come to Prineville, but they don't even stop in Prineville. They trickle on out to central Oregon and the region around here and they find their way out to the oceans of the globe the farthest parts of the nations. And so for the people to know, there must be preaching and teaching taking place. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples. How's the world going to know? Because we go. We go make disciples. Are you making disciples? Because this is for you. Here in Prineville, are you making disciples? Who are you teaching about Jesus? It goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Are you baptizing people? Go for it. Doesn't just have to be the pastors here. Head down to the river, stand in the water. Were you baptized this summer in the park services? That's little Tatum, she's mine, sorry. 
I can tune her out. I'm sure that you can. So, <laughs> Lord knows I tune her out. <laughs> Lindsay knows I do in the middle of the night anyways. The commission says that those who are baptized are to be taught to observe everything Jesus commanded. And so I'm sorry if you were baptized this year and, we, and you kind of thought, oh, cool, I've been baptized. Like, I'm done. No, Jesus says, now that you've been baptized, come be taught about Jesus. Come de- to be taught how to observe everything that he's called us to. We're not called to just make converts. We're called to make disciples, followers of Jesus, who then go out as well. The world needs to know. Ignorance of God is the great enemy of mankind. They need to know him. They need to know his saving ways. They need to know his saving Christ. Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We're going to see this repeated on down in the psalm a little bit later. But two times here, we're told, let them praise you. Let them praise you. Let them give thanks. Let them confess you. Let them have thanksgiving on their heart. But notice it says, Verse one said, uh, verse two rather, all the nations, and now in verse three, let the peoples, all the peoples, all the groups, all the life, everyone, totally everywhere. God blesses us, illuminates us, so that the nations and the peoples everywhere, all the peoples, would know his saving ways. They need to be told it. They want that they might praise as Peter tells us in our high priestly calling, we are to proclaim the praises of him who saved us. And then as we make disciples, they proclaim the praises of him who saved them. This is the summary of the whole Bible. In Genesis 12, when God blessed Abram, he said, I'm going to bless you, Abram, not that the blessings would end in you, but that all of the nations in the whole world should be blessed. Through your seed, Jesus, we know. And then when Abram passed away, Isaac, his son, was given the promise. Then when Isaac passed away, Jacob, Isaac's son, was given the promise. That through you, all the peoples, or all the nations, and each time it's said different, or all the families. And the language is ethne, and it speaks of people groups. And it can be boiled down and concentrated down to every family or clan that has been on the earth. Through Abraham, see Jesus, every family or clan in this world will be blessed through Jesus. If you've gone to this church very long, you already know that we have a passion to reach these families and clans that have yet heard. And when you look at the studies, you see that out of some 7 billion people in the world, some researchers have found about 11,000 different people groups or tribes or language and cultural groups. And as they've studied these 11,000, some all the way up to 16,000, some have studied, they see that about half that number has been engaged with the gospel. And those populations have at least 2% or more Christian. And that's something to rejoice over, believe it or not. Wow, 2% or more Christian. It means that there's actually some discipleship taking place. But the concern has been that the other half of those, uh, those people groups are what's called unreached, which means less than 2% of the population are evangelical, born-again Christians. And then half of that 
which equals about some 2 billion people on this planet right now, are in a group called unengaged unreached, which means there's currently no effort to reach them with the saving knowledge of Jesus and even less effort to actually stay there and make disciples of them. And so in the 2,000 some years since Jesus said, go preach the gospel to all nations, baptize them and teach them to observe everything I've commanded, half the world has never heard. Half the world doesn't even have people trying to get to them, a quarter of the world. And so the Lord has stirred in us from this song to use the, the mercy that he's given us and the grace that he's bestowed upon us and how he has shined his face upon us as Americans. We are the richest, most blessed country the world has ever seen. You don't think that about yourself? Come to Nepal with us. And you will realize how rich you are, how wealthy you are. Most people live on, what, $2 a day? Something along those lines? Aaron, was that correct? About $2 a day? Man, do the math on what you live off of here in America. You are rich. And what are we to do with that riches? We are to go make disciples. When you read of the stories of the Bible and you see God just incredibly blessing or incredibly showing up to bless his people, read the whole story and you'll see that it, did, it didn't just be, a, it wasn't just a blessing so that they could pat themselves on the back and be like, wow, that was awesome. It was so that the people around them would see how strong and mighty and merciful and powerful and gracious God is. So next time you go and you read the book of Daniel and you read of Daniel having favor with Nebuchadnezzar or you read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being saved out of the fiery furnace, or you read of Ezekiel and the prophecies of God choosing his people. He's not doing it just for them. There's wonderful things about his love. And man, God was faithful to us. Woohoo! But when the kings, these pagan kings, see God faithfully showing up for them, these pagan kings worship God, begin to praise God. They begin to declare how faithful God has been. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how faithful he's been for Daniel. Even the pagan king himself, Nebuchadnezzar, after he was so wicked and so prideful that God made him drop to all fours, grow hair like a, an ox, and eat grass like an ox, and grow eagle's claws for seven years. At the end of that period, Nebuchadnezzar praises and worships God. The end of it all is that he would be glorified. And so as he has shown up so faithfully for you Americans, it's not just to end here. It's so that the good news of his grace and mercy and his bright shiningness would be known out there. And it is so not known. Our prayer this morning is that God would stir in your heart to be a part of his great plan to reach this world with his saving knowledge so that all the peoples, so that the peoples, so that all the peoples would praise him. Verse 4, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously or with equity and govern the nations on the earth. Another say law or another pause. And so the third thing, first of all, it was so that they might know him. Second of all, it was that they might praise him. 
Thirdly, out of four, so we're already wrapping up, aren't you encouraged? Third, is so that they would be glad and enjoy and rejoice in God. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. There are few joys greater than leading men and women to our Savior. There are few joys greater, as many of us have experienced, than sitting with a man or a woman who's never even heard the name Jesus, never even heard of forgiveness of sins, never even heard of the one who has power over the demons that they're so afraid of, and to explain it to them and to just watch, just watch them begin to tremble and be interested in the gospel. God has designed our hearts to be glad, not in hoarding grace, but in giving grace out. The nations will be glad and they will sing for joy when they realize that this God that we preach is a just, righteous, equitable ruler and judge. And that he will one day govern the nation that they dwell in. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Here we have a repeated phrase. We see in this psalm that the praise and the glory of God is paramount. Oh yeah, that they would know, that they would enjoy it. That they would know that you're going to rule in justice and righteousness. So we praise you. We praise you, God. And I hope that maybe you're beginning to see with this lens, with your pen, and you can start underlining and circling all nations, the people, all peoples, all nations. You can just be circling just this vast global vision that God has. Beyond America into these dark, unreached places. <coughs> Verse 6, Then the end, or excuse me, then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. Two ways to kind of read this. Once God is ruling and his kingdom has come, his will has been done on earth as in his, as in his heaven. As is, is in heaven. Thank you. When, when that is happening, we are going to see just this world placed back in its Garden of Eden type habitat. Just beautiful and fruitful. And we know that that will be the millennial reign of Christ. Isaiah prophesies much of this. It's going to be a wonderful time. But a few different translations of this verse, like the ESV, says the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Or the NASB, the earth has yielded its produce. Or NIV, the land yields its harvest. I like that. We have an increase in produce, increase, and harvest because God has blessed us. It seems that 
the prayer from verse 1 is answered. We see the blessing. And how do we see the blessing? We see the crops yielding incredibly. Man, I can't explain it, but we've got more bales per acre. You know, we've got more tons per acre. We've got more of a yield. The cattle are fatter. My software company, it's selling more. I've got more jobs. We've got more clients. Why, why is God blessing us? We see that when our prayer is a prayer that is zealous for God's glory among the people, and we're not just living for ourselves to buy more stuff and heap up more luxury for ourselves, that the Lord blesses the yield. He blesses the gain. We will have no shortage in providing for this mission of God. God will give us material wealth in verse 6 for the world's spiritual worship. He gives a bountiful wheat harvest. Hopefully the Barney's like that one. For a bountiful world harvest. Lord, bless us. Bless our crops. Bless our number of haircuts. Bring them in, right, Erica? Like more, Lord. You know, I just can't keep up with it all. I got to hire more, bring more people into our daycare boxes. You know, bring more people to the store. You need more storage units. Okay, but. No more people to, until we build more, okay, right? <laughs> Sell all the stuff out of the storage units, Lord, and give it to the kingdom. More motorcycles in the shop, right? Easy, more people to help work on the motorcycles. Bring it in. More stuff to haul on the long hauls, right, Daniel? Haul the trucks. Man, get the trucks a-going. Lord, bless us. But man, hasn't the American life and the American dream been like, the gospel ends with me. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died to save sinners, of which I'm the chief. But we forget that he came to save sinners out in this world. God loves me and he sent his son to die for me. Yes, that is great and wonderful, but that's not the end of it all. And since he has saved me and redeemed me, he's put such a joy in my life that I can't help but go out to the world and tell the world. But how tragic that we have bought into the culture around us that says, give me more so that I can get more and get more and build more storage. No, I wasn't going there. I'm just saying, you should come look at my house. I have a special long weirdo room down in my basement that I've tried to build like some shelf thing and I just can't cram enough stuff. I've got to rip that shelf out and build the shelf differently so then I can get, like I got stuff, guys. Do you got stuff? I just need more stuff. We have so many toys, I just want to throw up. I am texturing my basement right now and I had to move the toys out of the toy closet and just put them in another room so I can texture the toy. Oh, oh, don't get us anything. I don't even, we haven't seen a lot of this stuff for three years. This pile of, I've, had, I've had new believers staying in my basement that walk by this and they're just probably like, ah, ooh, look at all those toys and spiders that are living in them. You know, it's just like, oh, I got just stuff sitting there. God gives us more, not so that we can be warehouses, but so that we can be distribution houses. And I don't mean, well, I'll just get rid of all my junk for people. I don't need to get rid of it anyways. No, I mean, let the new stuff come in so the new stuff can go out. 
Let the first fruits come in and the bountiful wheat harvest come in so that the bountiful harvest to the nations can be going out. God will bless us, my friends. God will bless us. God, our own God, will bless us. How the prosperity theology of 2016 is destroying the beauty of the gospel. When the prosperity theology ends with, God bless me, make me rich, give me a new shiny suit and a fancy car. Woo, glory, yeah, I want that. Who doesn't want that, Jesus? But when Jesus says, hey, shiny stuff, so that it can be used to get the gospel out there. Selling it, pawning it, using it however we can to get the redemption of the gospel out to this world. God bless us. God make us rich. God give us six-figure incomes so that we can be sending six-figure partnership checks to the missionaries we're sending out of here. God bless us with houses and views and vehicles and children so that we can use those things to make disciples, equip disciples, and send out disciples to the nations. As we look at refinancing our house, we fasted and prayed about refinancing. We fasted and prayed about remodeling. We fasted and prayed about the vehicles that we purchased. We fasted and prayed about having another baby, little Tady. Lord, is having another baby going to help spread out, be fruitful and multiply and spread out in this world so that the world can know you? Or is having another baby to just kind of add to my, just got to have some more, got to have another kid so I can get more t-ball stuff for him, so that I can get more scooters for him, so I can get more motorcycles, I got to get more stuff. It's horrible. It's a curse. And our elders meeting this week, we felt like the word spoke to us that our nation is cursed. Because we have taken the blessings of God that he has designed for bountiful world outreach so they can know him. And we've begun to worship those things. And in our worship of them, we've clung to them. We've hoped in them. We've invested in them so that they themselves can bring us more happiness, more comfort, more prestige. They've become our gods. Whether we're talking about possessions, whether we're talking about friends, families, whether we're talking about beautiful green yards or gardens, whether we're talking about stellar athletic children that we have or musical prowess, whatever it is. As Luther said, the human heart is an idol factory and we're popping these babies out like crazy. We've taken good things and turned them into God's. And it's a curse to us. And what can we do but call you to repent? As the Holy Spirit's calling us to repent. 
I just pray today that the Lord would put his finger on that thing or things and say, this is you right here. It's got to go. It's got to be sold. It's got to be pawned. It's got to be given away because it owns you. Just as the Old Testament would shatter the idols that they found under every green tree, chop them up and burn it. Or when the children of Israel made the golden calf and Moses found them, what did he do? Ground up the golden calf and made them drink it. You want this? <laughs> when Jesus says, chop off the hand and gouge out the eye that is making you sin, it's going to send you to hell. Sell it, grind it up, cut it off, get rid of it. And in all of it, pray, Lord, how would you use this to fund missions? How would you use this to spur on discipleship? Is it bad to have our kids in sports? Not if we're using it with the chief aim that we've seen in the scripture. Is it bad to have the, the, the wheels? Is it bad to have the dirt bike? Is it bad to have the ponies? Is it bad to have the kitten? Is it bad to have the garden? Is it bad to have the... Those are great things. But what is your chief end in it? Is it to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Three minutes. Last verse. God shall bless us. Amen? And the fourth <laughs> and the fourth thing, why Jesus came, all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Why do we get blessed? So that Azerbaijan and Armenia and Colombia and Bahrain and the Horn of Africa, the Somalians, the Kenyans, the Nepali, the Indians. Russians, oh, I don't know about it. the Russians and all the people groups that are represented in Russia, that they might fear him and bow down in reverent worship before him, crying out, worthy are you, lamb who's been slain, for you have redeemed us, a people to God by your blood. One day that prayer will be prayed. One day, the mission task of the church will be over. This is our one period, our little moment in the history of humankind to be a part of it. How are you a part of it? I like this rap that I heard recently on the Prayercast channel. If you can't go, then go, then pay. And if you can't pay, then pray. We're all called to go. And if you can't make it to Nepal this year, then let's go out here to Prineville. Go make disciples in our church and in our community. Some of you can go to Nepal this year. Some of you can go. Why aren't you going? Our default should always be to go. Some of us go to 
Cabo and to Hawaii and to Canada and to Alaska. And we don't pray and strain about, should I go? Should I go? I don't know. You just go. Next thing you know, you're back. Whoa. When he's told us to go to the world. Oh, I don't know. 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 Go. Our default should be to go. And when the Lord says don't, then don't. Go. Our, our meeting for Nepal is this Wednesday night, after Wednesday night. If the Lord's calling you to go, then let's go. If you can't go, and some of you physically can't go, the Lord's saying, look, you can't go. Some of you, with what's going on in your life right now, you can't go. You just can't go. But you can pay. You can pay something. You can sacrificially give for the work of the mission. Pay. Send someone. I know someone's felt called to go. They just don't think they they can. Hey, you can be a part of it. One of our mottos here at Calvary Chapel is that every member here is a missionary. If you can't go, then pay. Some of you can't pay. By that I mean... You can still be part of the fundraising options. You can still be praying and thinking about, Lord, how can I be generous towards this? Some of you just don't have the resources. You can pray. You can be encouraging to those that are going. Be part of the team that shows up while we're in Nepal and fast and pray the week that we're gone. This is what we do as a church. Our mission statement or our vision statement, we exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on up. Let's set our things aside, and why don't we stand together? We're going to have uh, the elders come up and the core group leaders come up and we're going to be up here just to pray with you guys. This is a scripture that has just changed me. And man, I am like one of the most selfish guys, covetous, want, 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 like, oh God, like Jesus died for this guy right here. Okay. God has changed me and our home and I've been given a wife that helps hold me accountable to remember Psalm 67, he's used this to change us. And if today you sense this, the spirit of God using the word of God to change you and how you've been living and how you've been giving and how you've been going, come up and get prayer. Come up and get prayer. And maybe today, like you do need to pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You've yet been saved by his grace. You have yet to be born again. You came in those doors and you were not a Christian. And the prayer that you need to pray, first of all, is Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've had a wicked, rebellious heart and I need mercy. And once we cry out for mercy and are clothed in his love and grace, then he's got a mission for us. He's got a plan for us. He's got an adventure for us. He's calling us to be a part of. 
And so maybe you would just come forward to ask for prayer, like, I need mercy. Will you pray, help me pray for mercy today? Maybe you're here today, you and your family, and you just, you want to pray, God bless us. Make us rich, Lord. We got a business, and we're like, okay, it's okay, it's going okay. Oh, Lord, open up the storehouses of heaven and rain down cash. Rain down money, Lord. Rain down resources. Not so that I would just get rich and luxurious living, but, oh, that I would get to be a part of that generous giving. This river of provision that God has for world missions. And I want to be part of just pouring into that river. And you just need blessings financially. Or you would pray today for blessings. Lord, bless my marriage. Bless my home. Bless my children. We need blessings. We need mercy and blessings. Our home life needs God to shine his face upon it. Oh Lord, we're not content with the backside. Lord, it's full face right here. Lord, show us your glory in our home, in my life, with my kids, with my job. Come up, get prayer. I just believe that as we just respond to the word of God today and say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, give to me so that I can give out. Here we are as a church, as a people. Come up and get prayer so that the world can know its saving ways, so that they can be glad and rejoice, so that the peoples, all the peoples would praise him, so that they would enjoy him, and so that they would fear him in reverent worship. Come up, core group leaders up here, elders up here. Come on up, get prayer as we close in this song.